Welcome to the Gab Podcast, where we chat to creative folk doing interesting things. My name's Graham, and today we sat down with BAFTA award-winning photographer and filmmaker Chris Leslie to chat about his work and his route into a creative career. Chris Leslie, welcome to the Gab Podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, we're in a we're in a different venue today than we usually are. So it's um, how would you describe this? A music cave. Yeah. It's um, nice, yeah. We're surrounded by guitars and records. It's brilliant. Um, thanks to Greg for um, for having us. So, 2020. How's the start been? Um, yeah, apart from Brexit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Sorry, I said it when we talk about politics, no but it's been pretty intensive. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's been good. I think January's normally a time where you kind of wait for kind of tax returns and stuff like that. Um, but been fairly busy. I do a lot of kind of corporate video stuff and. And also trying to plan the kind of year ahead and, and what's coming up. Um, so it's been good, yeah. But yeah, but you were talking about watching cartoons to avoid the news. But Brexit's been all-consuming. Um, that's the last I'll say about it. But um, yeah, but apart from that, it's been good. But yeah. that's my tip, watch cartoons from yes. the end rather than... Uh, <laughs> it's been working, actually. So um, I think it was five years ago you, you came along and spoke at one of our Gab events up in Glasgow. And um, it was it was a really great talk and we got so much good feedback about it. And you presented your... Um, it was sort of your documentary series Disappear in Glasgow um, and it's obviously quite hard hitting um, looking at I guess the areas of Glasgow that have been kind of torn down and how, how did you come about making that film and what was the impact of it when you eventually launched it? Um, God, where to start? I, I was doing a, a masters in documentary photography, and um, part of my masters was I had to do a project at the end of the masters. So the masters was based down in London. It was a part-time online course, and I'd kind of thought where I could do my project. And I'd done a lot of stuff in the Balkans, done a lot of stuff in Rwanda, and thought here we go, I could do something like real sexy overseas photojournalist type project. And I was living in Bridgeton at the time, so this is two thousand and seven. Um, and um, they announced the Commonwealth Games coming to, to the east end of Glasgow and I thought that'd be a fantastic project to document that change. So I, I kind of started there um, and started documenting Dunmarnock and documenting um, what was there, what was left and then just continued. So I finished my Masters 2010 but I just kept going with this project because by that point the, the big focus was in high-rise flats um, and within that period the city lost 35% of its high-rise um, buildings, uh, residential flats, and which to me was incredible of um, amount of buildings to knock down um, in a real short period of time. So I just continued doing it and continued looking at these kind of areas. And it was multimedia in terms of photography and interviews with residents, because um, it was important to me that residents told the story and it was their voices. So it kind of existed as photography, my photography, um, a bit of time lapse, a little bit of video, but mainly stills and audio interviews um, from residents within those areas, from Red Road, Dunmarnock, um, Site Hill. And um, it existed online for a long time. It's disappeared in Glasgow, and I didn't. I, I got a little bit of funding from Creative Scotland to, to kind of put a website together and to kind of collate some work. But that was the only real kind of backing support, whatever I got. It was. It was kind of just something that. So did, you, did you sort of self-fund it, or you just did it yourself? I just did it. Yeah, yeah. It just drove my my wife nuts. I suppose. Um, I mean, I'm lucky enough that I had some corporate work that allowed me to do that. But it just felt that such an important story, and it was a story that no one else was really telling. But subsequent to that, I think 2016, um, I, I, people were saying, "Why is it not a book? Why is it not?" And I, it, it was never intended to be a book. Um, 
and I think if I started the project with the idea that it was going to be a book, it'd be a very, very different project. And I'd be thinking, I'm shooting for a book, you know, and, and a bit of pressure. But I had no pressure at all doing this project. It was fantastic. It was very long. It was about eight to ten years. Um, but, yeah, the idea of doing a book, but it then became a book. I, I then was approached to, to create a book. And it was lovely because, to me, the project had kind of been done and lots of people had seen the films, but it sat online and, and nobody... You don't know who sees things online, you know, and I don't look at stats or whatever, um, web stats, and if they still exist. Um, so the, when the book came out, it was, a, it was a really big success and it was like a second wind and I had the exhibition in the art school and, and in the lighthouse. And it was a whole new audience, you know, saw it, um, which was lovely, you know. Um, and there was kind of two editions of the book. And um, so it's been good, yeah, but it, it always existed as, as short films, you know. It always existed online before before it was a book. Um, and, and that, to me, is a kind of good thing. That keeps it keeps it a bit more real. Um, unfortunately, when it be a bit tits up with the publisher, and, and the, the publisher in liquidation, so the, there was no um, money at all <laughs> made oh, from really? the book. Um, so that it was a particular, not really a sore point with the money, just the, the way it had been dealt with. Because I just then felt it was like eight to ten years of work that was just kind of you know made somebody else a lot of money. But I think the idea of being published then is is that it opens doors and people know you're working, they know you, and so those kind of things start to start to um kind of come later as benefits i feel like you know um and i kind of i, I stopped the product stop there was no um kind of final that's the end of it i kind of continued a little bit but i felt they stopped knocking down all the high-rise flats they came to a point where there was there was no there was no more to put anyone i suppose and no more flats to be knocked down so it felt like a natural end to, to the project. One of, one of the pretty powerful things about the project, as you said, was hearing the stories of the people that lived in these flats and seeing, I guess, the homes that they had grown up in, the families had grown up in, just destroyed and ripped down. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of your work seems to be, um, is, it, is it an important thing to use that you, you feel you need to use your talents to, I guess, shine a light on maybe people whose stories might have been forgotten or maybe people who are otherwise disenfranchised? Um... Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I going back. I I graduated um, ninety six and ended up in former Yugoslavia, um, volunteering in a small um, town in Croatia that had been been heavily destroyed. And that's where I kind of cut my teeth. I feel like you know it was a very heavily destroyed town. We were there in, as a volunteer project, working in both sides. The town was divided between Croats and Serbs, but it was the the idea of trying to. A, bring the community together, but also to kind of help people in, in different ways. But that, the war was over. Um, the media had left. There was no interest at all in, in the Balkans um, but because there was no more conflict. But to me, that's the most interesting time is post-conflict. And not that I'm comparing it with Glasgow, but I'm comparing it with Glasgow because I think the idea of what happens... Um, to, to to all these buildings being knocked down and all these stories and, and the way it was marketed and the story that was told about it it was all good for the city and it's all regeneration it's all positive and to me and the people I was speaking to and the places where I live in the East End that's that's not really the case it's not as simple as knocking down buildings and you solve all of Glasgow's problems so it was to kind of tell hidden stories if you like um, and, and, and get people's voices, pretty much like back in Croatia where nobody was really interested in these communities and nobody was really wanting to kind of help them in any way. So that was my my kind of thinking um, and my kind of continuation of that 
area a lot in Glasgow as well and the kind of stuff I do there you know I think it's clear if you look at all your work it's clear that you've got a I guess a love of Glasgow from a subject point of view what do you think it is about the city that makes it so good for these types of stories or for the type of work that you do um, yeah I mean Glasgow um, where to start I, I lived lived in Bridgeton for, for a long time and now living in East End now living in Deniston now and um, uh, you know it's a fantastic city Glasgow overall and there's been a lot of change in 10 years I think it's changed dramatically in, in 10 years but it's still full of holes it's still full of you know pockets of poverty and poverty of you know, parts of the city that are kind of still viewed as no-go areas and things like that. So it depends, I guess it depends on your view of the city. I think it can be a very hard city to live in. Um, and the way that it's marketed, um, even to, to people who live there, and the idea that people make Glasgow now, which is a fantastic um slogan compared to Glasgow with style you know from a few years ago you know it's how you talk to city and how you talk to its residents so I don't think that's as bad but there's just there's there's areas of the city that I just think are completely forgotten about you know and I understand the way Glasgow's got to market itself um, to, to encourage investment encourage visitors um, because fundamentally we need about 200,000 people to move back within the city boundaries. That's how this city is going to work. And until we get people moving back. So I think it's a real interesting, um, you know, city, it's a tale of two cities in many ways, you know. Um, and you kind of you kind of scratch your head sometimes about these Glasgow adverts and, the, you know, the Glasgow miracle, the music, the art scene and stuff. But then, you know, when you're near parts of the north of the city, that just doesn't mm. resonate at all no one yeah. really gives a shit about it it doesn't take any of these folk into account that have lived in the city no, for no for and, uh, interestingly as well there's parts of the city I mean as a, as a photographer and as an artist and, and looking at you know looking at Red Road and its skeletal state before it was brought down that was spectacular to, you know, to, to, to photograph and, 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 to, and to, to draw and to write about um, so for creative people Glasgow's great you know because you can imagine what's coming next you can imagine what's going to come from this empty area of land um, but it's kind of shitty if you live in that area and you're not you know creative in any way or, in, or interested in any of these things and, and I think that's that that's really interesting it's because you, you, you know you go to Edinburgh and, and there's not really any space really um, within the city centre Centre boundaries, but Glasgow within even within the city centre boundaries, there's there's holes everywhere. There's a massive hole across from where we are just now. So it's this kind of idea of the the city keeps it interesting creatively, and that's great f for me and lots of other people and architects etc. But at the same time, you know, it's it's a hard city to to live in still, and there's a lot of things that need to be addressed. Well, and talking about that, you did a recent project where you explored the idea that urban living makes us miserable. <laughs> so, mm. is that what's your view on that? And how did what's that project all about? Um, well, that was a that was a commission from Mosaic, which was a um, it was a science and health magazine, and and they write a lot of reports on research. So, it was the journalist um, Flo McDonald who who wrote the piece, and and then they contacted me and asked me to to, to help out with the photographs and, and and areas of the city to look at. Um, so really, it was her. It was her story, if you like. But I think with the the work that I had done in the areas of the city that I knew, I think that they realised that both of us coming together. And it, it was an interesting story. We looked at there's the, the children's woods um, in kind of Mary Hill area where, where there's a group of people who have taken area an area in between tenements that was going to be um, used for private development and it was going to be knocked down. And it was just like a football field and, and 
patches of kind of trees and things like that. You know, prime real estate is quite near to the West End. But the residents got together and complained and said, no, we want to create something here. So that was a kind of positive story of it. And that was people in the city who were, who were fighting back and claiming parts of the city, you know, to do things. But then I was up... Um, in other areas of the city and I was up in Postal you know and, and it's a completely different world there was areas up the top where, where all the the kind of tenements have been cleared and you now have like a kind of urban forest you know lots of wild deer and things going on but you have the roads being blocked off um, with debris and everybody fly tips there and there's kind of empty houses lying around and you're like what what is this you know and that's that's a five minute walk from this other project you know so it's a real it does make you miserable depending on where you live in a city and this is something that they have to address we can't just keep looking at the merchant city and, and, and the west end and, and it has to be a, a whole picture of the whole city and I think until Glasgow gets to that point then yeah but urban living would make you make you miserable yeah do you, do you think obviously the marketing of the city has to be I guess positive yeah but Glasgow's always marketed I guess has been quite gritty as well um, do you think there's a danger that we try and spin this for marketing purposes as a gritty city but we don't actually I guess deal with people who this isn't a marketing thing this is their lives and this is um, where they're living and there's a real need for improvement um yeah, as I was saying, I think it's really interesting the way they have marketing um, slogans that, that, that kind of speak to outsiders and also speak to people within the city as well, you know, and, and that idea that people make Glasgow is all-inclusive, that's the whole city. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very easy to, to kind of slag off Glasgow City Council and everyone else involved in terms of the city and infrastructure. But they, they, it's, it's, they're dealing with decades of industrial decline are dealing with lots of issues that, that have, have been endemic throughout the city you know so they have to push for investment they have to market in such a way um, to make it look positive you know and I mean they just need to look at the gorbals as a, as a kind of reinvention of a place and that view of the gorbals you know that people had and people in London I was speak to the gorbals was the first place that kind of came up as being a very violent place and stuff but that that's kind of gone now Um but there's yeah, there's still areas of the city that that, that need that kind of investment. I would say and, and need to be included in that people make Glasgow thing. You know, I think one area in Glasgow that's not changed for years and it's probably a good thing is the Barrowland Ballroom, which I think has been it's probably renowned. Like whenever you hear bands, the top gig venue list, bands always say you know we'd rather play like ten nights at the Barrowlands than you know one big yeah. gig. Um, you recently uh, completed a project to do with the Barrowland Ballroom. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I suppose the first thing is it's 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 not been demolished <laughs> because I'm documenting it. it. It doesn't have listed status, does it? It doesn't, no, and the sign doesn't either. There, there, there was some some people, some artists a few years ago who tried to um, list the, the the sign, but the building itself's not listed. But it's 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 you know it's the the building and everything it represents and the, the music scenes is such a big part of um, Glasgow's culture. So I I work with two other artists as a writer, Alison Irvin and. An illustrator, Mitch Miller, and we we're called Recollective. So we work on projects, looking at spaces, looking at areas of a city, and, and kind of telling stories, mainly about change and about regeneration and things like that. But this was something we, we wanted to do a project that was was ours that we chose to do. We weren't commissioned to do it, so we we started. We looked at the Barrowland Ballroom briefly. Um, we done a box set of. of 
their books looking at the the, the bar the barlands market and, and and around that area and skip pass and all that and we just touched on the ballroom and we got access to it one afternoon and we were like oh, this would be amazing to do properly so that was like t- 2015 so it had been it'd been on the back burner since then and then 2018 we, we got funding from Creative Scotland and we started this project but it wasn't the idea was it wouldn't be about the bands that played there um, it wouldn't be about the music it, it would be about the building and it would be about the history and it would be about the location and, and that building just now where it sits everything's changing everything's changing in the barland just now as a market as well and what you've got to remember and not a lot of people think about but the 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 Barland Ballroom and the market are the same business. So the Barland Ballroom is fantastic and everybody wants to go here, but nobody wants to go to the market anymore. And the the, the ballroom has been subsidising the market for, for a long time, you know. So the Barlands has is, is cha- changed already. You know, there's so many um, things that have changed there. Um, that's another podcast about what's happening in the bars, I suppose. But we wanted to tell the story of that building at this point in time. And... Um, Tom Joyce, the, the 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 kind of managing director, gave, gave us access and and gave us full access for about a year and a half, and we'd done tours and made people in. So it was about gaining other people's experiences, as well as um, shooting some bands that played, um, shooting some of the staff. Um, Mitch drew a, one of his dialectograms of the whole Barland Ballroom itself with all the stories on that one drawn, which is. It's amazing, spectacular. Um, so it was good. It was it was, a, it was a nice project, and it was something different for me because it was more of a kind of celebration, I suppose, of, of of Glasgow culture and 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 not um, yeah, nothing has been knocked down, um, and nothing's been changed in the venue for years. No, no, and that's that's what's fantastic about it. You, you know, it's, it was so easy to photograph as well. I mean, it is really easy um, because you just need to put a. A wide angle lens down in ten seconds just to get all the the kind of detail from the wood and the lights and stuff. Um, so nothing's changed, and it won't change, you know. But you know they're saying it won't change, but everything changes at some point. So for us, I think documenting at that at that time, you know, um, I think it'll be here for a it'll still be here for a long, long time. But it's it's nothing's guaranteed, you know. So it was a good project. The only thing I hated about it was um, was photographing the. The band's on stage, you get access to the pit for the first three songs. And I, I don't shoot live music and I'm terrible at it. And the joy of digital was just taking about a thousand photographs and then going through and editing to see, ah, oh, one of them work. That was the only thing I didn't like about it. Um, but they're a small fraction of the book itself. The book is it's fully nice portraits and it's fully nice shots of the building and the area. Um, so it was good. It was a lovely, lovely project, and we're, we're going to I write with it um, in March. So we'll be doing our Q and A with Stuart Cosgrove. So the kind of we had the book launch in the venue itself last summer, which is which was great. We, we actually had the the, the Barland as, as a venue, and it was great. It was like, lovely to to have that. Uh, Does that kind of you can say you've played the Barlands? Yeah, in a, in a sense, I uh, you could say yeah. Uh, um, I, I was DJing for a bit. It wasn't very good, uh, <laughs> but we had some live music and stuff. So it was it was lovely. But now the kind of the other thing with I write is is a I guess. It's a new audience, you know. It's funny with projects. You think that everybody's seen it and done it, and you're ready to move on. But it was a self-published book, I should say. I probably missed out the most important part. The, the outcome was a self-published book, the photographs of Alison's writing and Mitch's um, sketches, and um, 
Yeah, they've, 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 they've nearly sold out, so we're, we're just having to kind of keep some back for Friday wow, um, because amazing. they're going to go in. And we're, we toyed with the idea of republishing it, but because it's self published, we, we just thought it's better to let it go, I think, you know, and have this lovely object that if people are lucky enough to, to get one. Um, and then it goes, then it disappears. So it's a, you're doing that self-published stuff. I guess you're taking a risk, aren't you, on your own your own ability or your own yeah. story? But you you also do. You've got a production company as mm-hmm. well. So how do you find that? Is it how do you find the balance between I guess taking on commercial work and then taking risks with these personal projects? Is that a hard balance to do, or is it something you quite purposely make sure you allot time for both? Um, yeah, I mean the, the commercial work pays for the <laughs> for the, the documentary work and paid for me to run around Glasgow for eight years doing this in Glasgow. So yeah, I mean I, I do lots of kind of corporate work for for different people and a lot of it's mainly video as well. Um, but. I think t- to me anything's kind of interesting and I guess my background with documentary is there's, there's a storytelling focus to it so even a lot of the stuff that corporate work or whatever is the, it's still storytelling you know so I, I don't mind it I, I like it and I think you're using the same kit you're using the same disciplines and stuff so so for me there's no um, you know I, I don't dislike the corporate stuff I don't you know I'd rather be doing running about Glasgow in the rain photographing bombed out buildings um, and it's lovely to have kind of you know work because um, it's a very difficult industry as well I think sometimes so yeah I mean it's it's a good balance it works you know and uh, my wife my accountant she makes sure it kind of works she reminds me at dinner time what, what's happening <laughs> I guess it has to work doesn't it it has to, to work it has to work yes yeah. I guess you mentioned that there it's a as an industry I guess the creative industries being a filmmaker a photographer it's quite a you know it's quite a coveted thing and a lot of I guess uh, emerging creatives you know if you're just starting out in college or, or whatever it can be I guess it can be quite daunting but also quite difficult to to break into the industry now you you maybe had quite a different route and so you actually studied psychology and politics so how did you make the the jump from that to doing photography and filmmaking um yeah, so I I think <laughs> social sciences is one of those degrees that you do when you don't know what you you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. <laughs> so it was the perfect. I actually done civil engineering for a year because I left school and I liked tech drawing and and I done the, they said yeah you should go and do civil engineering and I done an HND degree. Um, I was Glasgow College at the time. And um, I hated it. It was just I was what am I doing here? So I, I managed to transfer to do psychology politics and um, yeah I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do and, and then even then I started kind of obviously I ended up in the Balkans so the Balkans was a big part of where I cut my teeth if you like and, and spent a lot of time in this war town town in Croatia um, how, when you say you had, how did you end up there like what what, what took you out there I, I wrote my I wrote my dissertation on what happened in, in terms of well, not what happened, didn't explain. It was like looking at the forces of nationalism and ethnic cleansing and explaining how that happened from a psychological and political perspective. And just became obsessed by everything to do with, with um, former Yugoslavia. And was really desperate to get out because it felt like an armchair industry. It felt like there was a lot of people writing about it, but until you get on the ground and experience it. And... Um, 
you know, graduating with a, a, a degree um, psychology politics, um, <laughs> there was no jobs lined up. So it, it felt that I, I could, uh, you know, if there was any kind of volunteering post, there was any way I could get out there and, and do something. And that's what I did for about six months as soon as I graduated. And that experience changed everything. So in terms of getting from the psychology politics into photography, um, <laughs> interestingly, to get me out there, I had to, this was the days before the internet, I mean, I think it was around, but I think it was only people who were into code that used it. But I had to, they asked for a CV, and um, this, it was like a volunteer agency where they match you up with different volunteer stuff going on in the world. And I think I must have faxed it, I can't, I can't even remember. But anyway, it comes to your CV, and there's a whole bit in the CV, which is um, skills, and I was like, blank. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck am I going to write here? So I wrote photography. And I thought, yeah, quite. Like, so I, I thought that. Where, then, would you consider yourself a photographer as such? No, no, I'd never, I'd, I'd never owned a camera. I'd never really <laughs> taken a picture. Um, so I kind of, I thought, yeah, I'll just put that down. And part of the project was to run this photography group for kids in the school that was destroyed and working with kids from both sides of the town and they come back to say would you like to do that as part of this social reconstruction thing and I was like yeah and then I was like fuck because I don't know photography but I spent like three months running around Airdrie where I was living at the time um, going to all these old men's photography groups and you know um, learning dark room skills and, and kind of got into it and, and knew enough to to kind of teach it but not enough to kind of call myself a photographer but anyway I ended up there and the photography project was kind of part of it but it kind of wasn't um, because they, they lost the funding and ended up doing lots of other things so uh, there wasn't that much photography teaching involved anyway and there wasn't but I was there with the camera and um the town was very heavily destroyed. It was 90% destroyed during the, the, the war. So I thought, I need to try and capture where I am here, you know? And I had this camera and I shot some, some rolls of film and um, then kind of pretty much discarded them because I thought they were kind of shit, really. And they probably were shit. But interestingly, I've gone back to visit these images again now. But yeah, so that's how that journey started. Um, from lying in my CV to get to <laughs> being, being in a war-term kind of um, wee, wee town, I think. How did I get here? Um, and then, That's yeah, not, it's not your usual journey into... It's uh, not, no, no, and it's, but it's, it's, it's the reality of it, you know. It's, it's, it's the joy of social science degrees as well. I, I highly recommend them to anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> Just wants four years at uni. But, I mean, it, it was an interesting course. Don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not dissing it, but uh, there was no... You know, you could still choose what you wanted to do after it. You know, if it was psychology you wanted to do, you could. If it's politics, if you wanted to, you know, <laughs> go to Bosnia with kid on your photographer, you know, you could do that as well. Well, I guess, I guess a lot of your work though is focused on that idea of people and stories. You know, it's not it's not about photography as a technical skill first and foremost. Because I get, do you think for it for anybody that wants to kind of try that, would you would you encourage people? You know. You know, if you want to be a photographer, you want to try this stuff and just get out and do it and give it a give it a try, rather than getting caught up too much in in the idea of the technical background. Or do you think it's both as important? Um, I mean, I, I get a lot of students uh, 
and I do a lot of talks to photography students and stuff um, about people who want to make an industry and it is a really tough industry and I think when I started as well there was the idea of like you know you didn't do photography and film you don't. You were either a photographer or a videographer. You know. You don't combine these skills. You know, and and you're, you go separate paths. But I think that's changed now, and it's all it's all inclusive. Everything is, and I think there's a great idea that you can do lots of things and you can do it really well because the technology is accessible and it's easy to use. But I think if you don't enjoy what you do. And you don't have a, a a real push to kind of tell that story. If you like, then it it'll just kind of be shit. So I guess what I say to a lot of students is is um is a I think they've got to use that time in their running environment. And in some ways, I always envied that I'd never been taught photography or, or any of these skills. I wish I'd done it as a as an undergraduate. But then I kind of wish I didn't because it would have been very different work that I would have come out with if at all. Um, but I think using the the people around you um, who are looking at your work and critiquing your work is fantastic. I mean, when I done my masters, because I I done my masters in two thousand eight, so I thought fuck, I need to get some kind of qualification in photography. I keep calling myself a photographer, a documentary, and I and somebody's going to ask me for my certificate one day. So the the the, the masters was a way for me to answer that. But when I started the masters. Um, I was doing a lot of video stuff as well and sound and multimedia and I said to them I just want to do photography I just want to be I just want to be an artist and the the, the guys that run the course like you, are you stupid like <laughs> nowadays all photographers are expected to shoot video you know it was this days of the DSLR coming in and um, you have all these skills you have all these you know um, so I, you know I, I embraced both kind of photography and film and it's very easy to do because the cameras are the same kind of um, they're the same entity now but yeah I think for students yeah, I think yeah, if you are studying use that time and let people critique your work I think in terms of copying people are, are you know copying styles and things I've, I've seen some people send me stuff and it's like that's a Chris Leslie image and I'm like god how did we get here um, but I, I, I've never consciously copied any style but I think subconsciously the more photographs you look at and the more it goes somewhere in your brain and it's it's kind of lodged there and if it comes out in a subconscious way that you're not directly copying that's fantastic but you have to be interested in what you're doing and what the story is you're telling you know if you don't have that then it's I think in, in in terms of breaking into an industry like photography now, I guess it's never every single person's got an amazing phone in their camera, um, mm. or sorry, and an amazing camera in their phone and all this power in your pocket. So it's, it's dead easy to get into. There's loads of platforms to share your work. Does that make it easier to get into the industry as a professional, do you think, and earn money from it? Or does the fact that so many people have access to it and are doing it, does that make it more difficult, do you think, to forge out an actual career? Um, I know. I think that the... the the idea of the, 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 the photography on mobiles and everybody having a camera is great, but it's also no very great. Um, I think images are throwaway now. I think even the way you look at them, you swipe images now <laughs> on a feed and they're gone, you know, and, and that's that's quite painful, I think. But at the same time, it's a great way to get your work out there, but at the same time, it's, it's become throwaway. And, and at the same time, the, you know, photo departments, particularly newspapers and stuff, photo desks have fallen apart and the funding for them's fallen, there's no, because there's no money to do that. So, uh, anytime I speak to students or, or anyone else about it, I, I just say there is no money in photography, you know, um, unless you start doing commercial work and things like that. But then at the same time, 
you know, I, I'm lucky that I, I do kind of video stuff and, and I do get occasional kind of photography work. Um, but you have pe- lots of people with cameras on your phone, but you still have industries that, that and Canon and all these people who are putting out cameras that cost tens of thousands of pounds. And I've just bought a camera that cost me nine grand. Um, and my wife's like, can you not do that on your phone kind of thing? So so there's still that, no, you can't do it in your phone, you know? No, you can't. Um, so there's, there's still an industry out there and there's still a high-end production value and people are still wanting to use that um, and, and are attracted to that. Um and it's great, but then the, the the mobile phones when 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 the iPhone came out, the, the, you know there was loads of stuff about films being made and stuff being shot on it. Um, but it just became kind of became a gimmick, I think, in, in many ways for for people working in the industry, it's, it's kind of disappeared slightly. Um, but it's good, I think it, it, it's good, but it's it's throwaway. And, and I'm working in a project just now, looking at my old negatives again, and, and I just love the idea of physically having negatives, you know, and I love that. And, and I think it's. For my age, um, I'm 46, I have to think about it now. But the idea of having lived in the analogue world and the digital and and seeing the benefits of both is fantastic. And that goes across everything, not just photography in in terms of 35mm film, but the whole everything, the days before the internet. It's a fantastic time to to, to have experienced and understand it's great to have a phone in your pocket and I'm still amazed but I'm still amazed with the technology that that, that you can do from your phone and stuff you know but what I worry is that a lot of young people and a lot of students take that for granted you know that you have that and then you can shoot 4K and you can shoot hundreds of pictures but of what 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 you photograph and that's what I always kind of ask them if you go back to the days when you had to develop your negatives you have to physically carry the film into these countries or and then you know, and then I have to pay for a print as well, and just that process is slowing down, slowing down, and and so it's, I'm, I'm blessed by being that kind of uh, analog and digital experience, the best, best of both worlds. Yeah, that's great. I think the just one of the last things I wanted to ask you about was, um, I, I think a lot of people doing commercial work, whether you're a designer, a photographer, a creative, a musician, whatever it is, there's this idea that um, you want to do this um, side project or to get something to go. You've obviously been really successful and got your commercial, um, I guess, career because of that idea of something you just went and did yourself. What what advice would you give to anyone who's got a kind of burning idea for like a, a photo diary, a documentary, a film, whatever it might be? Like how? What, do you, what, what good advice is there to, to get started and to bring that to fruition? Um, I think... It depends on... I think there's a number of different platforms now in terms of in terms of the web, in terms of potential TV, in terms of book, print, whatever. It's working out what you want to do. Because the other thing is, you know, there is funding out there to do projects and Creative Scotland have been, have been really um, great for me. Um so, so there are avenues to get projects done, but what I would say is you have to, you have to look at. I, I guess has anyone else told that story? First of all, if you want to get it broadcast, you want to be a book. Has it been told before? Because I get down and I speak to students and other people, and they come up with these ideas. I was down. Um, Clyde Bank a while back and, and talked to students and they were like, yeah, what do you do, son, about the shipyards and stuff? And I was like, what, what do you want to do? You know, what's your angle here? Because that story's been told, people are kind of a wee bit bored with it. So I guess it's making that story and what you've got exciting and different and framed differently. Then, For example, just the work I'd done at Red Road, flats, you know, the most successful 
part of it was doing Red Road Underground where we looked at the hidden underground bingo hall and bar that was there that nobody really knew about it had been closed for 20 years so we told the story from Red Road Underground on the way up so I always tell it just look for a different way to tell it um, but also just use you know use people as a soundboard around you as well to, to, to kind of you know to kind of comment the idea um, but You've really got to want to tell it as well. You have to have your heart in that story. If you don't, it's just you're just doing it, you know. And there's a good chance that somebody else has done it as well. Which just kind of soul destroying. You go to all that effort, and then it's like nobody really, nobody really cares, you know. Um, but I guess from that, you, as you as you said, you, if your your heart needs to be in it, if you're going to do something for eight years, you really need to want. But from that, I guess can come other opportunities. Yeah. No. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's 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 um it's nice to be at a position where after eight years in disappearing Glasgow that I'm kind of known as that um, person who done that book whatever that's disappearing Glasgow nobody points at me in the street yet um, but yeah it, it kind of opens up it opens up other um, other avenues I feel like and I guess you also need to let go of, of things as well you need to understand I mean I think with the Barland Ballads book we've done you know um, I, I'm, I just feel as if that's done I've now everything's got a very short life um, shelf life is that the word yeah shelf life for me but I just want to move on to the next thing because I guess I'm conscious that that was 8 years doing disappearing Glasgow and I'm thinking well that's a long time I'd never do that again you know I'd never sit and say right I'm your wife do probably wouldn't let like you do no, that no she wouldn't and I've got 4 wins to, to feed um, fish fingers as well so they they wouldn't be happy I've got to bring in I, I guess the corporate work to do that you know so so what is next for you what have you got on the horizon so next um, I'm going everything comes back to form Yugoslavia I'm I'm Doing a book and an exhibition, um, hopefully in Sogo Gallery at the end of the year. Um, so this year will be 25 years that the date and peace agreement was signed in Bosnia. So I'm, I'm doing a, a exhibition around the the first photographs I took back back in um, Croatia in 1996. Um, all these ones I thought were rubbish. Um, the ones that I've kind of salvaged them because I developed them myself and they're covered in scars and scratches and so I've looked at them again and, and as the images that were throwaway they have a different life now and I'm, I've been going back and forth to Bosnia over the past kind of um, 25 years as well so I'm telling it's 25 years apiece I'm still working in a title and exact focus but I'm working in a, with a writer um, John McDougall and he's going to write a few essays as well um, so that'll be the biggest thing um, to do um, to kind of work on and um, um, I've got a, an exhibition in Sarajevo in July of Sarajevo Camera Kids, it's called. So all the young people that I taught photography, because after Croatia, this will get a bit complicated, I then went to Bosnia and ran a photography project myself for three years in an orphanage, and it was massively successful, and lots of young people got involved. So I went and visited those young people again, um, kind of 20 or so years on, um, done a photo essay for The Guardian of where they are now, and we're going to have an exhibition in the city of their work. Because the images they took, you know, that city no longer exists, because it's been rebuilt, it's been, you know, so... Kind of similar to the stuff I do in Glasgow. So that'll be a big exhibition as well. But yeah, so everything loops back to to kind of graduating in social sciences and lying on my CV and ending <laughs> up in Croatia. And now 25 years later, I'm, I'm going back. 
it's a kind of cycle yeah <laughs> so if you build it we will come so that's that's your advice to any aspiring creative just put it in your CV ah yeah, yeah. start me white lies don't harm <laughs> anyone <laughs> you never know where it'll end up exactly yeah, yeah. well it's out now innit my, my secret's <laughs> out Chris thanks so much for your time that was great and uh, good luck with all the upcoming projects no worries thank you thanks for having us cheers Thanks to Chris Leslie for joining us for another great podcast. And thanks very much to the team at Big Mouth Audio for putting this all together. You can find out about past podcasts, future ones at www.gab.scot. And if you like the podcast, it'd be great if you could share and give us a like and subscribe.